Great to see you this morning. It's a, it's a special day today. It's a special day because the Lord has called and appointed this day a day of salvation. Did you know that? Every day is a day of salvation. Every day is a fresh day to experience His mercy, His grace, and His goodness. And I'm going to pray that um, as we've experienced that already in the worship, the Lord will continue that as we hear His Word together. Sergio and his family did a brilliant job in, um, in leading us at the beginning of our worship today, and uh, I can't improve on Sergio's reading because today's reading is actually Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20, and looks at the life of the shepherds. Last week, we looked at the heroic journey of Jesus. We saw that from his throne in heaven, he stepped down into the world, not with majestic glory, but as a servant, and one who, following the Father's call, was obedient to death, even death on a cross, for us. And we remember that the scripture that speaks of this, Philippians chapter 2, says that our attitude, our inner orientation, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who though in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. So here's the thing. Last week, we remembered that it is with dignity and privilege that God has called us into his family, made us his children, and given us the status of being co-heirs with Christ. Astonishing. And we heard that this dignity, this status, this privileged position is one that we're glad to surrender to be able to serve and to offer the Lord our lives as the means by which he can touch the world. But of course, the question is, what are the details of becoming that servant? We talked last week a little bit about not getting into this doormat mentality where we think that the best way for us to operate is for other people to abuse us and mistreat us. But of course, there is a means by which the Lord, circumstances, life itself, will bring us to a place where we need to make a decision about how we respond to the opportunities before us. And today, we're going to look at the opportunity of being a small person who brings a big impact. A small person who brings a big impact. And to do that, we're going to look at the lives of the shepherds. There are some key words that we need to kind of get a hold of, and um, I'll just uh, review this passage with you and then just point out those words so that you can dig into them with me. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah and Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to all those on whom his favor rests. So let's just think about these key words. There were shepherds. Let's just think about that for a minute. There were shepherds. Let's, let's try to understand what it is that, that this picture is speaking to us about. Here are shepherds who live a different life to everybody else. But they live a life that is vital to the worshipping life of Israel. Now these shepherds are located in the fields surrounding Bethlehem, which even to this day are places where shepherds graze their sheep. Many of you will have been to the Holy Land as I have, and you'll be able to go to the shepherds', shepherds fields. And they're not kind of characters from a movie, they really are there. And in those days, there were hundreds of thousands of the sheep. Hundreds, and th hundreds of thousands of them. And the reason for that was because the big resource that was needed to run the worshipping life of Israel were sacrificial lambs. Just think about it. There's maybe half a million people coming to Jerusalem at Passover. That's just one of the festivals. Half a million people. Maybe, I don't know, 200,000 lambs are needed? Just on that one occasion. There are thousands and thousands of lambs that are needed. And the people who supply them are the shepherds who live in the hills around Jerusalem right here in Bethlehem. So they have this vital role. Now, the way that it worked in those days was that the people in power tended to have their hands on the money and because they had their hands on the money it tended to corrupt them. This was the system. The system was that the priests would go to the shepherds and take the sheep, buy them from the shepherds and then resell the sheep to the worshippers who came to Jerusalem. I mean it's tough to get a sheep on a plane. You know what I'm saying. It's just tough to get a sheep from wherever you've come from around the Roman Empire, from wherever you've come from around Israel, carrying a sheep with you to be sacrificed for, for the Passover. So they would sell them along with other sacrificial animals like turtle doves and the like, and they would sell them at a big profit. And the way that the profit worked was you could only use money in the temple that didn't have the image of Caesar on it because they thought that that might be idolatrous. But really it was a scam. The money changers took a great big profit off the changing of the money from the local currency into the temple currency. So now the shepherds who've been paid a pittance for their sheep have seen their sheep go off and it's not just part of the worshipping life of Israel, but it's deeply invested in a corrupt system that's exploiting and abusing people. And here's the thing. That system that they were so essential to had people in it who looked down on them 
because they were shepherds. Shepherds were considered to be the least of people. Shepherds were considered to be not just on the lowest echelon of society, but further down. They were the worst of people. The shepherds were in the fields. What does that mean? It means that they have a job that is 24-7. They have a job where they live out in the fields away from the community. They're somewhat detached from normal social activities. Because they're detached, they feel a little bit on the edge. People look at them and see them as a little bit on the edge. They don't go to church very much. How can they? All of the synagogues are in the towns and the villages. They're in the fields. They can't bring their sheep to the synagogue. And so these people were not only marginalized, but were considered by the religious elite to be irreligious, cursed by God. Even though they're supplying the thing that's most needed for the worship of the Lord. And so here are the shepherds living in the fields, a nomadic life, semi-nomadic perhaps, living in a world that is marginal to everyone else, looked down upon by everyone to the extent that shepherds, along with just a couple of other groups, one of which was women, which is a large group, were not allowed to testify in court. So here's a shepherd. He's essential to the economy of Israel. He's essential to the worshiping life of the people of God. They're despised, they're marginalized, they're looked down on, and they're not even trusted to share their testimony in a court of law. You see, we have these rather sentimental pictures of the shepherds in the fields by night, but we forget that these people were people who were the small people, the despised people, the people who really were looked down upon by just about everybody. So we see the shepherds in the fields. What else do we see? Well, they're there at night. Not only do they live in the fields away from Society, not only do they live a semi-nomadic life, which means that they're disconnected from the religious life of the wider community, they function as nocturnal creatures. During the day, they'll take it in turns to sleep because there's very few threats to their flock during the day, but at night, they have to be alert. And so these are people who live on the underside, on the underbelly of society. The shepherds in their fields by night. Well, what happened to them? What happened to them is that these small people had a big experience. Interesting these, question. well, that's my watch talking to me. It's very strange when it does that. Have you noticed how it does that? <laughs> it's the oddest feeling. Sometimes you think that it's the Lord. It's not the Lord. Okay. <laughs> So here's, here's these folks. They are clearly lower than the bottom rung of society. And yet God chooses to reveal an amazing thing to them. Small people with a big experience. What's the big experience? Well, the big experience begins with 
an experience of God's glory. Now, glory to the average Jewish person at the time of Jesus was a picture word that was defined by the way that the Old Testament talked about glory. The word kavod in Hebrew means the weight of God's presence. We think of glittering illumination, and for sure it was a glittering illuminated night. But it was something where they were conscious of the presence, the weight of God's presence. These small people had this big experience of God's glory. And as well as God's glory, they had an amazing experience of meeting God's messengers. First, a singular angel who terrified the life out of them. In the passage, in the original, it speaks about fear upon fear. So here they are, they're fearful people. They're people who are made to feel small. They're people who function as small, insignificant, marginalized people. And they fear for themselves all the time. They're going to be exploited, they're going to be abused, they're, they're, going, to be, they're going to be looked down upon, people are going to call them names. So constantly they're aware of the fear of being associated with all kinds of crimes and misdemeanors. So fear is the kind of bottom line experience of their life and now they have this amazing experience of the presence of God weighing them down, the glittering illumination of heaven breaking out all around them and they're completely terrified. I wonder if you have a background feeling of anxiety these days. Flick the news on. Oh my word. Flick the news off as quick as possible. Listen to people talking. And you hear anxiety. You hear the background atmosphere of fear. It's though we're breathing it all the time. It's the, it's the very oxygen that we breathe. And then on top of that, we have these incidents and accidents that promote greater fear. And it makes us feel small in relation to the world around us. It makes us feel insignificant in relation to the degree of struggle and, and threat that there is around us. The threats seem much larger than any capacity that we have to stand against them, never mind overwhelm them. There's something here for each one of us who feel like that on any day. The shepherds are in their fields by night. The angel comes and reveals the glory of God and says, I bring you good news of great joy. Not a little bit of joy. Great joy. Little people, great joy. Now, something really important here, if you just listen to what it is that the scripture is saying to us. Little people, great joy. Great joy. What is the great joy? The King, the Messiah, the Savior has been born to you. Well, why are you telling us we'll never be allowed in the palace? You see, these people, they lived in the fields around Bethlehem. And all around them were the symbols 
that indicated to them that they had no access to the places of privilege and power. Just over there was the city of David, the most important historical figure in all of their history. They couldn't compare to him. Just over here, on an on a excavated mountain, Herod the Great has built one of his enormous fortresses. It overshadows the entire landscape. It's like something out of Lord of the Rings. He's built it so that it will be his mausoleum, and to this day is the mausoleum of Herod. Herod the Great, one of the great builders of the ancient world, easily comparable to, to one of the pharaohs of Egypt. This great fortress, when you go up into it, these shepherds would never have got anywhere near it, but when you go up into it, it's so impressive, so incredible. You can see the Dead Sea from the top of that fortress. That's how far you can see. Imagine, you can see the whole land. And here are the shepherds. They're not important figures in history. They're not great men or women of moment. And the angel of God has come to tell them of a great joy. God has found the small people to share an enormous message. Of course, as you continue in the passage that we've just looked at, you realize that this joy is something that is so significant that really we have to understand it from the point of view of what the angels were saying. They said, and it took the whole company of heaven to express this, they were saying, look, this joy is connected to the peace that God wants to give you. Peace on every person upon whom God's favor rests. Now, if you'd ask the shepherds that evening over dinner, it's probably roast lamb. If you'd have asked them over dinner, are you favored? I, I'm not sure they'd say yes. I'm not sure they'd be able to say yes because you see their whole experience was that they were despised. They were looked down upon. They were, they were pilloried, often persecuted, run out of town. These people were not favored in any measure and yet the whole company of heaven gathers to the beckoning call of the messenger angel and they sing the song of glory to God and the glory is about the peace that he gives to each person on whom his favor rests. And the shepherds are thinking, if we're so favored that the angels of heaven should come to tell us this message, then surely everyone's included. Surely everyone is favored. If we're favored, everyone can be gathered in. If God is gathering us in, so how does it work? Well, an anonymous 
Scottish preacher, I may have mentioned him before. I don't know who he is, I can't identify the source, but I was told by a Scotsman that it was part of the kind of spiritual history of the place that he served. He said, peace and joy work together. When joy settles in your heart, you find peace. When peace gets up to dance, it looks like joy. And so here, the shepherds have received the very peace of God that passes understanding, and no doubt it put a skip in their stride as they went to look for the infant Jesus. Let me ask you, when you hear this picture painted of a small group, a despised group, a people without privilege. What does it make you think? This is what it makes me think. It makes me think that if I'm to have the attitude of Jesus, knowing that I have the privilege of being a child of the living God, stepping into the smallness of the shepherd's experience seems to be really important because only in my smallness can I understand the greatness of the good news. Only in my smallness can I discover the majesty, the scope, the sweep of all that God wants to do in this world through one like me. But you see, here's the thing. I'm not very small. I'm about six foot four, six foot five, depending on time of day. I'm not very poor. You know, I live here. And I don't know whether lots of people despise me. I mean, go on the internet and you'll find a few. But I don't feel marginalized. I don't feel that I'm on the edge of things. I mean, sometimes, sometimes when I hear politicians and powerful people speak disparagingly about Christians in the church, sure, I, I feel momentarily marginalized. I don't feel like a shepherd. But it seems as though it's essential to be small to receive the great joy. It seems as though it's important to be small to be able to understand the big message. It seems as though it's important that I am aware of my insignificance so that God can do a significant thing through me. Just think about it. The beginning of the story, the people who herald the coming of Jesus are the most despised group. They're not allowed to, to give testimony in a court of law. They're not allowed to give testimony in the court of law and yet God uses them to testify to the good news that the baby's been born. The end of the story, the people who are recruited by God to be the messengers of the resurrection are women. 
They're not allowed to give testimony in a court of law, but they're used by God to share the message, the eternal message, the good news that Christ is risen. Does anybody get it? Does anybody kind of click? As I read this, I thought, of course. I have to be small. So how do I do that? Do I do the Uriah Heap thing in Nicholas Nickleby? Do you remember the, yeah, the Charles Dickens character? I'm a very humble man, Mr. Nickleby. I'm a very humble man. And he always rubs his hands together. And I don't know why he sounds like a cockney, but he should do. I'm so humble. It's amazing how humble I am. And actually, Uriah Heep, it's not a rock band from the 70s, it's a character from <laughs> Charles Dickens. Uriah Heep is not humble at all. He just pretends to be humble. Now, he's, he's heard somewhere that it's a good thing to be humble, and so he pretends to be humble. And frankly, for you and I, how are we supposed to function as small people when we have all kinds of all kinds of suggestions and indications that we're really not small at all. Now, don't get me wrong. There are folks within our congregation who are marginalized, who do not have access to privilege and power. But I'm just talking about me. How do we do it? Well, here's, here's the way that I think that we can do it. We find the opportunity that helps us to see ourselves from a new perspective. We take the opportunity to see ourselves from a new position, a new posture, a new place, a new stance. I'll give you some examples. When I came to Apex, the way that the internal functioning of the staff operated was a dumpster fire. I mean, really, with all kinds of toxic chemicals being burned. It was horrible. Now, it's not like the elders told me any different. I mean, we knew what was going on. It was just really, really complex and conflicted and challenging and, and there were lots of hurt and lots of trauma and, and it was really, really, really painful. But my plan was to come and serve and to help and to share and to do whatever it was that the Lord had asked me to do here. But when I was welcomed in, they showed me to this room that smelled of urine and was full of furniture. And they said, this is your office. And I said, thanks. Are we gonna get the furniture out? And they said, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. So we kind of got the furniture out. And, and I said, what about the smell? I mean, what is the smell? And they said, well, there, there used to be a bathroom in the back there, but it stopped working. And so we've just got to, we just closed the door. I said, thanks. 
And then I said, could I have a little budget to get? Sure, you've got a budget, Sally. And I went down to Ikea. Where else would you go to furnish an office? Got a few things from Ikea, put my books up on the wall, put some lights in, got a rug down, put some music on, candle burning. <laughs> People used to come to my office and say, wow, this is the best office in the whole place. But it was my opportunity to be small. Back in England, um, we were privileged to plant, lead, and grow the largest church in the UK. And the Church of England was the organization that we were part of. How about this? 10 years into seeing this amazing work of God that really defined the conversation about mission in the Western church for really many, many years. Never once invited to speak on mission to the Church of England. Disrespected, discouraged. It was my opportunity to be small. You see, each one of us has an opportunity every day. Each one of us has the opportunity every day. The way that Jesus describes it is he says it's a narrow way, it's a small door. I was hiking uh, through the hills of England up in Northumberland and I had a, a rucksack on and I had my boots and you know my woolly hat and my Waterproof clothing, you have to have waterproof clothing, otherwise you can't function. And we wanted to go to various little old churches. And so we would get to the old church and the, the, the church would have a big door in it. Great big double door. But the way in was through a tiny little door called a wicket gate. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you'll know that the way to life is through the wicket gate. It's a door within a door. But to get through that door, and maybe this is what Jesus was talking about when he talked about rich people getting into the kingdom, they have to go through the eye of a needle like a camel going through the eye of a needle. During the time of Jesus, they had these wicket gates. They called them night gates. And if you got to the city too late and all of the city was shut up and you didn't want to be left with the brigands and the bandits, then you had to come through the eye of a needle. That's what they called it. And to get through there, you had to take all the baggage off and squeeze through. You have to put down all of the resources, all of the stuff, all of the, all of the unwieldy stuff. Here's the thing. These people were used by God in amazing ways. The excluded became the included. The materially poor became experientially rich. The marginalized 
were called to the center of God's purposes. The voiceless were given a message. The unseen were given glory. Is anybody hearing this? This amazing message of salvation was given to the voiceless, unheard, unseen. And it's when we're in that place that we get to see how it is that God can work. It's when we're in that place that we get to see the perspective of the great things. We may not feel we've got a voice, but God has got a great message through you. You may not feel as though you're seen, but God sees you and sends his glory upon you. You may feel that you're marginalized at work, at college, in school, in your family, but God has you in the center of his purposes and plans. Don't you love God? Isn't that amazing that he'd want to do that? This is the way he wants to work. And if you and I are going to find that wicked gate, if you and I are going to find that eye of the needle, if you and I are going to find the door within the door where we have to be small to get through it, we'll find it's the gateway to the kingdom. It's the gateway to usefulness. It's the gateway to God's purposes being lived in and through us. So how then should we proceed? Without pretense, without the, I'm a very humble man, Mr. Nickleby. Without the pretense, without the presentation of a humble life. We find the opportunities in each day that make us recognize that perhaps we're not the center of attention. We're not the middle of the picture. We're not the ones who have our hands on the levers of power. The things that make us feel small. Now you can embrace the smallness if you know the greatness of the dignity and calling that you have. You can do that. If you know, as a child of God, the glories of heaven await, the inheritance of Christ is yours, then each moment when you're invited to be small, you can embrace it. You see, there are two things that we need to be able to think about if we're gonna live this way. One is to start doing something and the other thing is to stop doing something. What do we need to start to do? We need to start recognizing the things that make us feel small as opportunities. They're opportunities. They're opportunities for the kingdom to break in. We need to stop behaving 
to find favor with other people. We, not, we need to stop saying things that we think everybody will agree with. We need to stop viewing ourselves as better than, more important than the people around us. And when we start in that way and stop in this way, Jesus says, that's what I call repentance. That's what I call a changed life. And the changed life is the place where the kingdom breaks through. Jesus says the time is right. The kingdom of God is right at hand. It's right here. Repent and believe the good news. What is it for us to repent? We start taking the opportunity of the situations that call us to be small. We stop always seeking the opportunities to be big, to be great, to be important. And in that repentance, God speaks, and when God speaks, faith rises. And when faith rises, joy comes with it. And joy will be a great joy. Not a small joy, not an insignificant joy, but the great joy of the good news that again breaks out in your heart and you say, yes, thank you, God. You found me. You've changed me. You want to use me. So our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Recognizing our place of privilege and our place of glory, our, our place of destiny, who in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the place of a servant. Jesus took the opportunity. Imagine this. The angels of heaven. Word angel means messenger. The messengers of heaven have come to recruit messengers on earth. The angels of heaven now become angels on earth. And who are the angels? Who are the messengers? They're the ones who have seen Jesus, have felt the glory, have experienced the joy, who know the peace. You see, this is the thing. So many times I've spoken to folks and they say, Do you know, I'm really struggling. I don't, I don't know whether, I don't know whether I believe. I don't feel, I don't feel like I've really got my life together as a Christian. And, and you talk to them and it's quite obvious that what they're describing is they don't think that they've quite got all of the ideas in the right order so that it all makes sense. But here's the thing. You're supposed to experience the good news before you even understand it. Do you think it'll take us all eternity to understand it? But you can experience it now. You can experience it now. And here's the thing, it's small people who get the big experiences. It's not clever people. It's not people who want to work it all out. It's not the people who think that they've got a mind 
capable of taking in the scope of the eternal good news of God. It's people who are small enough to say, God, I need you to do something and to reveal yourself to me in a way that makes sense here. Do you think the shepherds would have been good teachers of the Bible? Do you think the shepherds would have been great exponents of the good news? Do you think shepherds would have been invited to the synagogue to give their treatise on the incarnation of the Son of God? But they were chosen as the messengers of the greatest news the world's ever heard of or experienced. And the thing that compelled them was it became real for them because they experienced it. It was real joy. It was real peace. It was real glory. We, in our evangelical kind of ivory towers, imagine that those emotional Christians who run around with big experiences are probably not quite fully all together. <laughs> and yet that's how the story started. It started with people who were known for being despised, who were known for being uneducated and illiterate, and yet their experience of the living God so compelled and changed them that they went from the manger to the world with their message. The Savior's been born. There it is. That's how small people have a big impact. How? By receiving the great experience of the good news breaking out in their life as joy and peace of receiving the message that they are favored, known, loved, and blessed by God. They, though incapable of carrying a great argument for the purposes of God in history, are able to say, in my life, God has met me and changed me. And he's changed me in these ways. And these transformations mean that he can change you too because I'm only a small person. How do we have the attitude of Jesus? By starting to take the opportunities that every day gives us to be small. Knowing that we're great with children of God, starting to take the opportunities that every day gives us to be small. Stop living our life trying to be big. Stop living our life trying to be significant. There are lots of places you can go to on Sundays that will just reinforce the ideas that we're awesome. And I totally believe that. 
unfortunately, is only half the message. We're awesome, but God's more awesome. And he needs us not to be awesome, but to be insignificant so that he can do awesome things through us. And if you doubt it, then the baby in the manger, four chapters later, in the same gospel, when he was beginning his ministry amongst the marginalized, said this, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you, rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Do we hear it? Do we want it? So part of the choreography of Sundays is that we get to dance with Jesus. And what I mean is this. We get to encounter him in worship. We get to hear his word in the word. And then we get to receive the empowering presence of his spirit connecting the dots within us where we find we need him most. Today is a day when you can embrace the moment to be small and who knows, God may give you a big experience. Today is a moment when you can set aside your pride and your wondering of what other people would say if you came forward. And you can say, I'm a small person in need of a great God. The prayer team who tried to live this way like all of us were communicating this morning and someone said, I don't even know what the medical term is, but there's something wrong with someone's jaw. TMJ? I thought it was TMI, I didn't know what it was. T TMJ. And um, I'm thinking, why have we got too much information about a jaw? I mean, what is that? But it's TMJ, and it's something about the jaw, and it's to do with pain in the jaw. And what I said to the prayer team as we were praying this morning, just preparing for today, I said, usually when God does that, he's holding out a box of Kleenex to us. And he's saying, if you'll just receive this first indication of my desire to heal, to bless, to touch, anoint, and transform, if you'll just take this first one, there's another one underneath it, like in a box of Kleenex. And then you take the next one, oh, there's another one. And then, oh, and who knows how big the box is? 
So I don't know who that refers to, the jaw thing. I don't know whether you've heard the call today to be small, to receive a great impartation, a great blessing, a great renewing of your call, your message, your mission, your ministry, I don't know. But when you come, know that you come as a small person to a great God. Let's pray together.